So Joe Biden's approval ratings are still pretty darn low. And now there are Republican candidates teasing their 2024 run against Donald Trump. I'm Byron York from The Byron York Show. Hear me get right into the news of the day. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Black Rifle Coffee Company set out on a mission to make the best cup of coffee that's ever hit your mug. And I think they've hit that mission straight on. Their dream has been to sell enough premium coffee to build a support network for veterans, first responders, and law enforcement. And thanks to your support, that dream has come true. Black Rifle Coffee is roasted by a veteran-led team of brilliant coffee graders who work tirelessly to roast and bag the highest quality coffee here in America. And the coffee is truly one of a kind and my favorite. Your support has helped Black Rifle Coffee Company expand their team of active duty service members, veterans, and veteran family members. And they were able to donate over 120,000 bags of coffee to veterans and first responders in 2022. Visit blackriflecoffee.com Dana and use my code Dana at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash Dana. Use code Dana and also look for Black Rifle Coffee in grocery and convenience stores. Black Rifle Coffee, America's coffee. When I was vice president, I flew over a million miles on Air Force Two and I was uh, going home as the United States uh, as vice president. And one of the conductors said to me, hey, Joe, big deal million, whatever, 200, you said, you've, you've traveled over a million miles on Amtrak. I said, how the hell do you know that? And they added it up. But, but folks, look, I made a thousand trips through this tunnel. <laughs> and it kind of shows maybe. He made this up. This is, I mean, I don't know how many times the story's got to get debunked, but and instead of him telling these stories, I would love to know more about the story that broke actually just a little bit ago that talks about the uh, FBI and uh, the Penn Center and the rating of Penn Center. Welcome to a very iced out Texas. It's your lovable curmudgeon, uh, Dana Lash here with you. And you're listening from sea to shining sea here. Uh, and you can listen to the nationally syndicated radio program. You can also watch. I'm going to warn you about the simulcast, though, that's carried on Facebook and YouTube. And then also direct TV channel 349 because it's just it's me here and. And I'm trying to get some help with cameras, so because everybody's iced out and there's no plan B. So there you go. So it's just very, very not ready because that's just how it goes. All right. So we'll just bear with it as we uh, get rolling on here. So this is what I mean, he sits here and he tells these stories, but he won't answer any questions about the story that I was just telling you about. And I saw this hit. I mean, just a little bit ago, actually. I'm going to pull this up because it's CBS News piece. FBI searched the Penn Biden Center in mid-November. Very quietly they did. You didn't hear about it. Nobody heard about this. Nobody had any clue about this. They searched the Penn Biden Center very, very quietly. A very, it was an undisclosed search. And it happened back in November. Nobody knew. There was no at all... Uh, Photos. There were no photos of documents spread across the floor. Nothing like that. They said that according to, because apparently sources are telling, they said the search was conducted with the cooperation of Biden's representatives. A search warrant wasn't sought. And this was the sixth floor office space near the Capitol. The Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement. They said that the FBI search of the think tank was not disclosed previously. Not Either not by the White House, not by Biden's attorneys, not by the Department of Justice. A January 14th statement, and this is the CBS piece that I'm looking at here. 
A January 14th statement from the president's attorney, Bob Bauer, referred to the government conducting its inquiry. It said they, they said they took possession of any documents and reviewed any surrounding material for further review and context. And when the FBI conducted a consensual search of Biden's home in Wilmington, they said, that oh, the White House announced that the following day. But they kept everything else quiet. They said that lawyers in the DOJ agreed on the parameters of the search. They kept every they gave him the courtesy of keeping everything quiet. There was no. I mean, none at all whatsoever. Media frenzy. There was none of that. There was no photo uh, spread of all the documents laid out on the floor as though it was somehow like that's how Trump stored them. It was just just really weird how they did this and the difference in treatment. And that is absolutely completely uh, inarguable and inexcusable. I mean, it's something else. See, you know what? The, the, the crazy thing is, is that when the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago, the way that people found out is because Trump told people. Now, I don't know. They say this is an FBI search. Maybe that's not a raid, but everyone kept it quiet. So when the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago and they trashed the place, Trump informed everyone else, everybody about this himself. We didn't learn about this until months after it happened. And the way that it is described, it's a search. But do you do you think that do you think that there were people? I mean, clearly this is you know obviously no, no one was there leaking out any kind of photos from the the search at all. It sounds more like a search and not a raid. Really weird. Very weird indeed. And this piece. It's very, I mean, they, I mean, there's some serious, there's some serious differences here. It sounds as though there was some preferential treatment given by the DOJ towards Biden, of course. They said that they did the search of, of Biden's Wilmington home in addition to the Penn Biden Center. Apparently, the FBI, after the, this was the Wilmington home, after 13 hours, they took possession of six items marked classified in addition to other materials that had Lesser class, lesser classification. Interesting, interesting. So there are now two places that have been searched. One, I don't know, the Penn Biden Center, though, sounds... They searched this. Now, the, the previous search we were talking about, that was the house. So they kept all of this entirely quiet. I am not stunned at all. And you wonder why we had the poll yesterday. That showed people have zero. They think government's the biggest problem. Government. They think government's more of a problem than anything else. Even inflation. So this is just weird. And the fact that it took this long to leak. Is really weird. I mean the. This is. They buried a story. That reflected poorly on Biden. So that Democrats could perform well. Now, see, the other thing that I that I get from this, because what did we hear, too, from the from the document search that Biden had been cooperating? 
Now, the reason why I think we're getting bits and pieces of this out is because they're trying to, I think they're trying to mitigate how much, how many hits Biden takes from this. I think that they're trying to minimize at all in any way they can the damage that's going to be done from this. So they feel like if they just do it, you know, usually a drip drip is done, you know, dripping, you know, uh, Reports like this is done in a certain way so as to kind of bait the entity into coming out and ultimately it damages them even more. But with something like this, I think they're doing it because they need they have to that it has to come out. So they're going to control the way in which it comes out to minimize any damage that Biden would take. That's I mean, that's why I think that it's coming out in this particular way. But the way that they described Biden's lawyers cooperating with people. It sounds like they didn't they weren't cooperating until after this. It doesn't sound like they were packing up the contents of Penn Biden Center to move it. It sound and then they'd oh well we just found some class. It doesn't sound like that at all. It does not sound like that at all. I think it's to me it kind of sounds like they knew that they had some stuff here. I mean they, and they knew it. While they were ordering a raid on Mar-a-Lago, they knew that he had, they knew he had stuff even while they were ordering a raid on Mar-a-Lago. I mean, that is something else. He's the sitting president of the United States and the FBI searches the premises and we don't know. We don't know this is happening because they're so, the media is so invested in protecting this guy sitting in the White House. We have more on this. Did you guys see this other big story that came out today? Because the laptop stories are still coming. This is insane. This latest, this is apparently was an exclusive from Daily Mail. They said that Hunter Biden threatened to withhold the pay for his assistant who was cash strapped if she didn't FaceTime him naked. According to texts that are discussing. She's the fourth employee that he's apparently sexually harassed or had a sexual relationship with. His assistant was in her 20s. The mid-50s son of the president was pestering her for video sex sessions and then sending her cash via Apple Pay because she was struggling to make ends meet. This all came out of his laptop that the FBI already confirmed was his. This is after he hired his kid's basketball coach and then stopped her employment when she told Hunter Biden that she was pregnant and she had to sue him for child support. That was the lady down in Kentucky. So this staffer, he complained to her that he really had no money to pay her for her work completed due to, quote, alimony, tuitions and other blank like girls insurance talking about his daughters. And. He absolutely pesters her half to death. It's disgusting. He's a sex pest. I mean, it is. He goes, I'm going to make up back pay. FaceTime me and then you can come to our next club party. It sounds like he's prostituting her. And he, I mean, this is just disgusting. He's a sexual predator. He just harasses her nonstop. So not only... Was he doing this? And I think this was the same time he was screwing his brother's widow. Oh, and then don't forget, he slept with the sister of his brother's widow, too. He basically banged everything that was in and around his family. And this woman 
it came out. Do you remember those suspicious activity reports that first made the waves when all of the stuff was immediately hitting the press? It was, the, it was these uh, SARs, these suspicious activity reports filed by J.P. Morgan Chase. And they were flagging these any kind of suspicious transaction by Hunter and his company. This woman, apparently, the trans, she was in one of the transactions that was flagged as being suspicious. This, he is such a disgusting person. And you know what gets me? It really is infuriating when you realize that he's, first off, he's a sexual predator. He's threatening to withhold pay if his assistant didn't debase herself. He brings, and then, and then his dad, president of the United States, brings the serial predator into the White House. He was there at the Easter egg roll, brings him aboard Air Force One, and he forces taxpayers to foot sex predator Hunter Biden's exorbitant Malibu protection costs because he insists on living in Malibu. Even though they have no family in Malibu, there's no reason he needs to live in Malibu. They have to pay, I mean, three times as much for Secret Service protection for him because he insists on living out there where he thinks the rich Hollywood people live. That's the only reason he's out there. Because they are so obsessed with keeping up appearances. He's got to live in Malibu. He can't live anywhere else. There's no reason for him to live out there. And we are forced to pay for it. This is what he does. Disgusting. We have a lot more on the way, including uh, we got headlines coming up. And we're going to get more into these, some of the latest with this this story with the classified documents. Also, France sounds like they're kind of open to sending planes to Ukraine. We're going to talk about this and how some of the arms that we left behind in Afghanistan, they're turning up in different conflicts from around the world. So we're going to talk about all of that and more as we get moving. Thanks to your support, Patriot Mobile has emerged as one of the leaders in the parallel economy, and they have big news. Patriot Mobile now offers service with all three major networks. This means if you're with the big three and like the service but hate their values, you can access them with Patriot Mobile. They also offer a performance guarantee. So if you're not happy with your coverage, you can switch between the three major carriers for free. Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, offers nationwide coverage on the best 4G and 5G networks. So you get the same great service while supporting a company that fights to preserve our God-given rights and freedoms. Resolve now to stop supporting companies that don't align with your values. The Patriot Mobile 100% U.S.-based customer service team makes switching easy. Just visit PatriotMobile.com Dana or call them at 878-PATRIOT. Get free activation today with the offer code Dana. That's PatriotMobile.com Dana or call 878-PATRIOT. PatriotMobile.com Dana or call 878-PATRIOT. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. So the show Laverne and Shirley, Cindy Williams, who was on that program, has passed away at age 75. She was Shirley, opposite Penny Marshall's Laverne. I kind of remember this being on in the early 80s. It was like, I know it was a huge show. I will have to say that Cindy Williams did not age. She really didn't. But uh, they said that she'd passed away after a brief illness and it was released, the statement, the news was released through her children. So uh, also, this is actually kind of hysterical and I can't even imagine having this problem. Oh my word. Or can you imagine? A furious Texas retiree. So the 66-year-old woman named Elaine White, she has had men knocking at the door of her Plano, Texas home for a year now because men believe it to be a brothel. She thinks that maybe it was an online scam, 
Uh, she calls the police. There have been no arrests. So she has to put up signs all over her house and installed a ring camera to, fill, to film people arriving at her door. And she, the signs say, Kelly does not live here. All different kinds of signs. This door is locked for your protection, not mine. She has all kinds of signs up. But it's so gross. Like, people show up and they ask for, like, Kelly or Rhonda. So she has signs saying, like, all of these, these women are not here. Uh, many times the men arrive with beer and liquor. And she usually says, you know, this is a bait house and you have 10 seconds to get away from it or the cops are going to get you. And the men run across the lawn. It's unbelievable. So she's trying to figure out how this happened, but so far there haven't been any arrests. I that's like the one of the wildest stories ever. That's oh gosh. This is also pretty bad. A man faked his own death so that he could see who would attend his funeral. A Brazilian man sparked outrage of his friends and family, faked his death out of pure curiosity to just see who would show up at his funeral. He's what he well, I guess he's like a self-described ceremonialist. He's like an impresario in a way. So his name is Baltazar Lamos, and he's conducted hundreds of funerals himself. But he wanted to see who would show up to his. So he faked his death to see. And his when his friends began sharing the news of his passing on social media, people were paying respects in the comments and all this stuff. And they actually showed up in a chapel in his native city, and they expected a funeral. And then he started narrating his life story. And people thought it was recording. And then he stepped out in front of everyone. Some people were mad, understandably. I mean, it's an actual story. There's like video and everything. It's crazy that somebody did this. Wow, that's actually kind of sad that you have to go to that extent just to see if you're liked. Ford is cutting their EV prices as Tesla competition heats up. Oh, boy. It's the Mach-E, 900 to 6,000. We have a lot more on the way. Stick with us. More of The Dana Show back after this. Friends, 2022 is history. Have you thought about what you'll do in 2023? How you will make it better than last year? Every new year is a new opportunity, so I have a great way for you to make the most of this one. This year, resolve to become a better educated American. And the good folks at Hillsdale College have made their amazing online courses free for all who wish to learn. And my challenge to you is just take one of their fantastic courses. You can discover the beauty of the Bible in the Genesis story, or study the writings of C.S. Lewis, or explore the true meaning of America in Constitution 101. There are many more to choose from, and all these self-paced free courses feature Hillsdale faculty and scholars. Visit Dana4FORHillsdale.com and pick one of more than 30 free Hillsdale courses. I hope you'll accept my challenge and resolve to be a more educated American in 2023. Pick whichever course you like at Dana4Hillsdale.com and start your free online course today. That's Dana4FORHillsdale.com. Listen to the Dana Show live on the Odyssey app, weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Let's talk about how you get a line of credit. Who of us grew up with our parents talking about a phrase line of credit, right? This is th- these are things you learn. If someone takes the time to teach you because they know. Ooh. Ooh. The line of the line of credit. What is she talking about with this? Welcome back to the program. Dana Lash here with you, your lovable curmudgeon on this ice day. Here in Texas, it's uh, 27 degrees. Everything is literally ice. But we're still talking about everything. It's just just like get get you like a cup of coffee, something hot to drink, except for Steve, who apparently is like in 60 degree weather out there in D.C., which I don't understand that at all. And let's let's talk about some people. So that's the VP, Kamala Harris, who (laughs) I I just found that 
funny because this is all in the context of fight over debt ceiling, etc. And this idea, you know, the line of credit, yes, you 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 have this concept of line of credit. But you also in addition to that, what parents were supposed to teach you was that you live within your means. Government doesn't do that. So that's why we are in this position in the first place, because government does not do this. Now, I was, where was this? I wasn't going to hit this. Actually, I was going to hit this tomorrow. Let me pull this up right now. I have that saved in my bookmarking system. But I was reading as it relates to deficit and debt ceiling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We came out of the pandemic period. And honestly, if our economy hadn't been so strong going into it, I don't know what we would look like, what it would look like now. But there was, I mean, there were a lot, there was a lot of federal spending that was taking place in part because some the, the seizure of people's ability to generate income, that economic eminent domain, you know, the, the stuff that was sent out, you know, the, the whole paycheck protection, all of the stuff that was happening. But in addition to that, you know, even before then, one of the things I liked about the previous administration is that we had major tax cuts and that's, you know, that's, we, that's how it should be. But the issue is that government spending did not decrease. And so that gave Democrats this opening to say or to argue that, well, because, uh, you know, tax cuts cost and uh, look at the deficit. I mean, you're just even though we, we know that government spending is what costs, we didn't decrease government spending. There was a lot of deregulation that took place that was good. Don't get me wrong. And Democrats continued that trend going into this new administration. The federal spending just actually, I mean, it skyrocketed even more than what it had been previously. And so they keep saying, well, in order to substantiate that, to offset it, we have to increase taxes. Instead of not spending, they think they have to tax you more. And yet, even though when you were t- even pre-pandemic, when you were taxed less, government revenue was still at an all-time high. It, it wasn't an issue of revenue. It's an issue of their spending. Basic economics 101. That's also what Kamala Harris should be talking about. You know, and I have audio because yesterday we had the story of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis because Trump went after him and, and DeSantis has responded and we'll play that in a little bit. But while the media is so amped up on causing that that baiting baiting Trump into this this flame war. Notice how they don't say anything about Kamala Harris. Do you know how many stories I have of Democrats questioning her ability to not just campaign well, but to even win an election if she were to run? There's a new one. I had one. There was a New York Times piece. I had something at the Atlantic. Uh, the New York Post wrote about uh, some of it. There was a Washington Post piece. There was one South Carolina Democratic strategist who said that they would like for her to be president. Oh, man, they really compliment her, but there's a but there. They don't think that she can do it. There is an unlikable quality about her, some kind of ennui. There's this, there's this quality about her that is unlikable, not shrill and abrasive in the way that Hillary Clinton is. But I think people believe in the way that you hear these strategists talk that she's fake and that she's just really like punching way above her weight. And they think that she's doing that even as VP because you have to think about this. Biden was Biden's kind of a placeholder for the Democrat Party. Kamala Harris was someone that the Obamas were fans of. 
And I think that she was being groomed for a higher position, but then they realized that it was all hat, no cattle, and oh, wow, she didn't really do it. She was one of the most unpopular politicians amongst her base uh, imaginable, even as a senator. She wasn't able to raise money. She's not a good fundraiser. Uh, She doesn't draw the dollars. And so I'm looking at this other piece. There's one from Washington Post, another from New York Post. They said that her well-publicized stumbles with the media don't help her. She's really low profile in the administration and that if, if Biden were to run, she had a difficult time with the intense scrutiny of the race the first time around. They are wondering whether she can weather the criticism that comes from a second run. And even Warren, this was interesting, uh, you know, uh, Liawatha the woman who literally filled out with her own hand and lied and said that she was a woman of color, that she was a, a, literally said that she was a member of Indian Nations. Senator Elizabeth Warren, she said, she was asked about this. Uh, she did a local radio show uh, in Boston. She was on the radio show up there. And they were asking whether or not if Biden runs, should she be, should Warren, uh, would Warren support Harris being on the ticket again? And Warren could not answer. And it's not just her that can answer, can't answer. Feinstein can't answer. Feinstein served with Harris as a senator out from California. This is how crazy it is. Like women senators in the Democrat Party can't even get on board. That's how you know she's bad, because that's the party that that circles the wagons. And they're all, oh, girl power, girl power. And you have to support her just because she has a vagina. You have to ignore the mayor. It doesn't matter. They can't even get on the same page as to whether or not they would support Kamala Harris being on this ticket. That is incredibly telling. And if they were were all Republicans, the media would be screaming with headlines like girl fight and all this other stuff because you can't even get the female senators to support the female senator who became the first female vice president. So Warren was asked about this and she goes, well, she said, quote, I want to defer to what makes Biden comfortable on his team. Listen to this, because this is what she was telling them. She she would not really throw she would not do a personal endorsement her dance was crazy listen to this if he's that old in a second term the vice presidency becomes even more important mm-hmm. should kamala harris be the his choice the second time around you know i i really want to defer to what makes biden comfortable on his team i've known kamala for a long time i like kamala i knew her back when she was when she was an attorney general and I was still uh, uh, teaching and we worked on the housing crisis together so we go way back but they need they have to be a team and my sense is they are I don't mean that by suggesting I think there are any problems oh that is incredibly telling so this is why I think they're focusing so much on on everything else on on anything with the Republican side Because this is the bigger fight. I mean, think about it. You have Democrats that can't even get out there and support the actual vice president of the United States. Well, we don't know. It is not whatever makes Biden comfortable, whatever, whatever, you know, just, yeah. So they're questioning this. And it's not just other elected officials. It's it's other like big money donors and strategists and others. And it is just. Uh. That should be the most troubling thing to them. But they're, do, they're, being, they're doing everything that they can to shield her from that. They're doing everything that they can to give the impression that the party isn't limping along and struggling with us right now. And they are. That is the biggest. That's the biggest division. It's not what's happening on the right. The issue with the Republican side 
is that you have a number of qualified people, some more than others, who have their eyes on 2024. And everyone has the right to run. Okay, everybody has the ability and the right to run. So you have a a number of these people that are looking at 2024 and they're kind of, you know, making everybody's making room for themselves at the table. Democrats don't have that problem. Who do they have? Gavin Newsom? So Gavin Newsom, by the way, tweeted about the where's I have this. He was tweeting about um, the he, he tweeted this quote due to recent storms, California has more water in our reservoirs and a bigger snowpack in the Sierra Nevada mountains. We're investing in and streamlining projects so we can capture and store more water to increase our water supply. And I retweeted it and I said, seems like a better use of your taxpayer money than your one point eight million dollar per day rail debacle. So Gavin Newsom. I think that he could be taken down in the primary easily just because of the rail debacle over which he's he he saw oversaw most of that. And it, I'm not exaggerating. It's, you know, one point eight million dollars a day. It turned into it. I think what the cost I want to say it was one hundred and five billion dollars, something crazy. And. Uh, there was a New York Times piece on it. And it was, uh, I think we, well, we were reading about some of it here on air. It was really bad. Uh, His, I mean, the way that they, I mean, they're just uh, billions and billions. They had a French company that was going to build this rail. And it was so bad. And there was so much cronyism and every, you know, all of this that they ended up, leaving and they went to a country in Africa and they were able to do the bullet train faster. It was a piece that ran back in October. Here it is. October of uh, last year. New York Times piece. That right. This right there is the epitaph should be the epitaph for any political aspirations beyond California governor for Gavin Newsom. It says how California's bullet train went off the rails. America's first experiment with high speed rail became a multi-billion dollar nightmare. Political compromises create a project created a project so expensive that almost everyone knows how it can be built. They don't know how they're going to build it as originally envisioned. Uh, I mean, the ridiculousness and Newsom oversaw it and allowed a lot of it. They estimated, listen to this, this was February of last year, the last estimate from the California High Speed Rail Authority. They said that this was going to cost about $113 billion. In the span of a couple of months, I'm not joking you, it went from 105 to 113. They said that they accelerated the pace of construction, blah, 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 and then stuff started getting more expensive and labor and all of this stuff. They were putting all their money on this in this instead of water desalination plants and everything else it's just insane but he oversaw and Newsom is name checked in this I mean this is this is pretty he they said at first he was cautious about committing new state financing but he didn't put any he didn't keep anything in check he put his hand in the honeypot too he didn't keep anything in check all of these people were they were making the the path for this rail go a million different ways so that everybody could get something unbelievable he's the guy that they think is going to run that guy, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't make it. And he's too, he's somebody who also seems like, like a snivelly worm. He doesn't, he's more, he's seems like a more sophisticated version of Adam Schiff. They have that same kind of, and I'm not saying that they do this, but they have this coked outlook about them. They look, they kind of give them those airs, just saying, but 
it's that's who they would have. This is the biggest problem that the left has. It's not what's going on on the right. The right has a lot of options. The left, who do they have? They have nobody. Nobody, nobody. So coming up, DeSantis did respond. And we're going to talk about what started all of that, too, because this is an absolute 100% media-led flame war. And people have got to stop, especially one person, has to stop taking the bait for it. Of all your favorite talk hosts, one of these is not like the others. The Dana Show. You can sign up for the show newsletter at Substack. All kinds of good stuff that goes out there regularly, including a piece that I came out with last night. We'll talk a little bit about that coming up. I was reading this piece actually really quickly from the Washington Post that came out this morning from Glenn Kessler, who's obviously, you know, he's left-leaning. The story says, what's more common, a good guy without a gun or with one? And I think it's funny that he, because he kind of, I mean, and I was briefly reading the story, uh, but it seems like he kind of undoes his own narrative because you, regardless of whether or not you think that FBI data is flawed, there have been so many numerous independent studies apart from that because the FBI is really inconsistent with how they count defensive gun usage. You know, for instance, if something is like a domestic dispute that gets that gets filed differently, um, even if you have, you know, a third party who gets involved and acts to protect the lives of someone else. It's just very inconsistent and purposefully so to suppress the data that shows that defensive gun use just vastly outpaces that of criminal usage. You've had studies, there was a study, I think it was last year from Georgetown, in a study on defensive gun use. Then, of course, you've had the one from the CDC that they hid because it undercut their narrative, and that was during the Obama-Biden administration. And then, of course, you have Obama's DOJ, which did their separate study. That doesn't even get into, you know, that that's separate from the Rand Institute, a number of other independent explorations of defensive gun usage so it seems like every single time one of these individuals wants to dip their toe in the puddle of arguing that defensive gun usage is overinflated when they actually look at the numbers they do their they do their narrative more of a disservice than anything else and glenn kessler just absolutely did that with this washington post piece i mean the one the georgetown university one and i have that saved because i wrote a piece about it when it came out they actually estimate 1.6 million incidents defensive incidents uh, per year And keep in mind that one of the other inconsistencies with logging defensive gun usage is whether or not someone actually fires the gun, whether or not their finger is on the trigger. There isn't any kind of uniformity, which makes it that's why you have the vast difference between anywhere from, you know, uh, you know, 500,000. I think what was it or 500 to uh, two point something million. And that was yet another independent survey from Gary Kleck, who's a lifelong hardcore Democrat, who is a criminal researcher and a professor down in Florida. And he just he just is biased towards truth. And everyone always likes to sit here and say that John Lott, who he's cited in this Washington Post piece, he's been on the program. I've known John for a number of years. They always like to say that John is biased. John actually isn't biased. What's funny about John is if the math doesn't support it, he doesn't either. And it doesn't even if it's, uh, you know, kind of goes against maybe a conservative rail, he doesn't go with that either. We got more in store. Second hour on the way. Stay with us. 
A lot of the media doesn't cover some of the most important stories of the day. I'm Byron York, Byron York Show podcast. In the latest episodes, I talk about how Joe Biden's approval ratings, remember they were supposed to be going up, are still pretty darn low. And Republican candidates, let's say potential candidates like Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor, UN ambassador, are teasing a 2024 run against Donald Trump. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the daily No Chit Chat podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I roll out of bed. I have people attacking me from all angles. It's been happening for many, many years. And if you look at the good thing about it, though, is like if you take a crisis situation like COVID, you know, the good thing about it is when you're an elected executive, you have to make all kinds of decisions. You've got to steer that ship. And the good thing is, is that the people are able to render a judgment on that, whether they reelect you or not. Oh, that's a really good response. Welcome back to the program. Dana Lash here with you. Top of our second hour. You can listen to the nationally syndicated radio show from sea to shining sea here in the U.S., ladies and gentlemen, and uh, stream it anywhere. You can also watch the simulcast, too, on YouTube, Facebook, and it's also through the first on DirecTV, Channel 349. We're a little bit skeleton today because if you've been following the news, the... uh, we had thunder sleet. That's an actual thing this morning. It has been raining ice for hours in Dallas. So Texas is closed. Texas is closed down. So no one no one was able to get in studio. Except for me because I live here. All right. So let's get started with everything. The audio that we just played for you. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is really, I thought that was a very good response that he had um, from and this, and this was just the just from yesterday, because I wrote about this. It, all let's go back for a minute. Let me set this up because I want to make sure that you understand the sequence, the 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 order of events here, because I think that's helpful, especially when I have a Politico piece that adds to it. So over the weekend, there was a Washington Post piece that it was entirely unsourced. They had no one on record, and it was riddled with inaccurate information because people with the on DeSantis's team hit back against it. So there was this piece over at Washington Post, headline: "DeSantis advisors prepare for potential presidential run, explore staff options." Now it came from DC. There, nobody was on record. It was sources say, sources say. Now keep in mind, this is from the Washington Post. And what is one of the things that the Washington Post is super famous for? Pushing the Russian collusion narrative to the point where they've actually, I just had, I saw that I had saved two different retractions that they had about that dossier. I mean, that's, you know, the democracy dies in darkness paper. So the Washington Post, again, the people who pushed the Russian collusion narrative came out with this story, DeSantis advisors preparing for run. And it had, it, I mean, I read it, it was, it, it sounded goofy. So DeSantis's people hit back and they said, what are you talking about? First off, this, if anything is going to happen, it's going to come from Florida. Now, from what I understand, DeSantis's team is based in Florida and they run a tight shit. They don't do K Street stuff. So they don't have anybody that can put out stuff from dc if that makes sense but 
It doesn't matter because that's when Trump responded to it. Trump saw it. This this Washington Post piece happened uh, over the weekend and it came out at 5 a.m. on Saturday. Well, later that Saturday afternoon, Trump branded DeSantis as disloyal in responding to this because he was asked about the article. And then he had posted Ron DeSanctimonious doing far worse, including shutting down Florida beaches, etc. And I addressed that yesterday because he didn't shut down any beaches. He didn't do anything like that. Um, in fact, he was literally sued for not shutting down beaches. Now, I will say in Pinellas County, apparently there was in, sp- in spite of because he had an executive order. DeSantis did. And I, I provided it in the newsletter because I was like, OK, what's true and what's not? And I was curious. The county commissioners, there were a number of county commissioners in Florida that did try to shut stuff down. But with his executive order, uh, which, by the way, followed Trump's guidance, who was president at the time, that it verbatim protected outdoor recreation, church attendance, beaches, all of that as, quote, essential activities. I mean, I literally screenshotted the executive order and linked it. So that's just not true. Now, there were county commissioners, like I said, there was a piece at TampaBay.com that talked about how some of the Pinellas County commissioners were trying to shut down their beaches because they disagreed with DeSantis on this. So I want to be very clear on something. It was the president of the United States who relied on experts in the CDC and called for nationwide restrictions that were followed by every governor. And I helpfully linked video in which Trump was saying 15 days to slow the spread. So, and I will have you note that in hindsight, everybody, everybody, everybody that I'm talking about here, including the former president, no one, there was no clarity, no answers. We were operating in a new thing without a blueprint at all whatsoever. And then when people started realizing that the task force was pushing more political science than science science, then they changed it. But the direction to follow these things came literally from the president and the White House task force. So I don't know why Trump is criticizing governors for doing what he literally advised them to do. I don't know why he would strategically, why he would put himself in a compromising position like that if he's looking at this as a competition. Now, I will say there were a lot of Republican governors that stopped following the guidance of the task force and they began implementing and setting up their own state-based task forces. And this was led by Georgia and Florida. Now, if you remember, Fauci repeatedly slammed Florida for loosening their restrictions, quote unquote, too early. He said it was very concerning. He and Trump had a press conference back in April of 2020 in which he was asked about Georgia uh, and and Florida and reopening, you know, schools and doing things like this. And a reporter had asked if the virus would spread in Florida if schools were to reopen. There's video of it. And Trump kind of he handed the, the question about that to Fauci. But he goes, well, I think I know the answer to that. So this and we learned liter- and then I, I did a whole like almost hour on data that came from New York that showed early on that schools were not a hotbed of transmission as it relates to covid. And the former president had also opposed Georgia's reopening. Later in that same year, I think it was like a week and a half after that press conference regarding Florida, he had said, quote, I told the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, that I strongly disagree with his decision to re- to open certain facilities. So my thought was this, because he doesn't live on Twitter, so I don't know which bad advisor that he has amongst him showed him the above 
you know, the, the, the piece that I had mentioned from Washington Post on DeSantis and potentially running, you know, the same publication that pushed that entirely debunked Russian collusion narrative to try to hurt Trump when he was in office. I don't know which bad advisor decided that suddenly now Washington Post must be totally truthful and showed it to Trump to goad him in a one-sided flame war. That's, I don't understand that. I mean, I like a lot of what he did as president. We had an, a powerhouse economy. We didn't have, you, you didn't have all these countries popping off like this. You didn't have rumblings of war. We had major deregulation and we became truly energy independent. Acknowledging mistakes made now does not subtract from his accomplishments then. But these fights that he gets pulled into, the media is baiting him. They distract from his record rather than magnify it. Now, here's case in point. My friend Steve found this, and it's, it's from Politico. So Politico has a piece. Now, I played the, we played the audio. You just heard what DeSantis said, right? You just heard what DeSantis said, and he was saying that, you know, we, uh, it, it, he talked about everything that they've been doing in Florida, and he's like, look, I, I can't respond to every single thing that everybody says about me, which I agree with. So what politi- this is how Politico headlines it, quote, Actually, you know what? First, let's play, play the DeSantis audio again, and then I want to share how Politico headlined his response. Go ahead, Steve, can you play that uh, audio I again? I roll out of bed. I have people attacking me from all angles. It's been happening for many, many years. And if you look at the good thing about it, though, is like if you take a crisis situation like COVID, you know, the good thing about it is when you're an elected executive, you have to make all kinds of decisions. You've got to steer that ship. And the good thing is, is that the people are able to render a judgment on that, whether they reelect you or not. Mm. So here's how what Politico does. Uh, Politico says, quote, DeSantis snaps back at Trump. I got reelected. Because he just talked about how the initiatives in Florida, people responded to them. And, you know, he said that Republicans were overwhelmingly elected around Florida. That is literally how he said it. DeSantis said, in his in his bit, he said, quote, the good thing is that people are able to render a judgment on whether they reelect you or not. And I'm happy to say, you know, in my case, not only did we re- win reelection, we won with the highest percentage of vote that any Republican governor candidate has had in the history of the state of Florida. That verdict has been rendered by the people of the state of Florida because he was talking about all of the measures because it wasn't just he wasn't just speaking about the situation with with Trump. He was he's also getting a ton of flack because he's running CRT out of schools. So he was fielding a ton of questions about this. And people have been asking him, well, uh, you know, our parents uh, are going to object to you running out academics because they conflate CRT with actual academics. So he's addressing a number of things here. Politico so is so hard up to have this fight. It's crazy. And that's how they frame it. That is exactly how Politico is framing it. So is that same stupid advisor that's in Trump circle? whoever that is, who needs to be fired and jettisoned. I mean, he sounds kind of like a sloppy Steve candidate. Are they going to look at Politico and be like, oh, here's another one, and then try to try to present it to him as a way to keep going with us? I mean, that's, that's by the way, you have to have, you cannot have bad advisors. People who do stuff like that, by the way, who are supposed to be offering counsel and genuine advice, I feel like they tweak people and try to manipulate people because they want to be power adjacent. They can't run themselves because they have too much baggage. So they do this kind of stuff. 
And they try to puff themselves up as being some kind of operative when we all know that they're probably like a failed blogger from the early aughts. And the only thing that they've ever been able to successfully do is get divorced. I'm just saying. So I don't know who it is that is that is whispering this poison, but this this is Politico framing this just like that was Washington Post that entirely fabricated an entire piece because I started asking around to some of my gumshoe reporter friends in Florida and they're like nothing is going to come out of Washington like one of my friends who's who's reported on Florida politics forever is like nothing's coming out of Washington if it's coming out and it's legit, it's going to be coming out of Tallahassee. They're like, this is not there. He was like, no, no, no. And he's like, and people put their name on it. This is not. And I was thinking, too, it, why would that even if run with the devil's argument? Like what? Well, how would that even benefit to leak like that? It doesn't make sense. It's entirely fabricated by The Washington Post. Why are Republicans taking bait? I need the former president to not take the bait because the media needs this fight. Remember what I said last hour? So they can ignore the fact that literally not a single Democrat supports Kamala Harris and they can't even go on record in supporting Biden. Not even the female girl power women senators. They can't even get on record supporting a former female senator who became the first female vice president. They can't even get on record with that. So they need to avoid being asked, why do you hate women? Do you have an issue with the first woman of color as vice president? Do you have an issue? They need to be able to run away from that. They need this as cover. Do not help them. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. So apparently Holt Hogan has to use a cane after back surgery has left him with nerve damage. So he, he had one surgery and then apparently he had to have something else done. Um, no one has said whether or not it was botched or anything like that. He was, he's was he been pictured on his feet suggesting that he's recovered somewhat, um, but he seems a little unsteady on his feet. And uh, Kurt Angle said on that he had spoke with Hogan for like 30 minutes uh, last week and they were talking about his surgery. So good heavens. That's like, you want to talk about an icon? I remember him doing, I mean, since I was a kid. My word. Uh, also... This uh, da, 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 this story here, King of the Hill reboot lands at Hulu with original co-creators Mike Judge and Greg Daniels. So apparently the guy who did The Wonder Years is going to be the executive producer and showrunner. So King of the Hill is going to be back. Apparently it's going to be on Hulu. They ordered a reboot of the animated series and it originally aired on Fox, became one of the longest running series. It premiered in 97. They ran it for 13 seasons and before it ended in 2010. So it's going to be revived. We're going to see. So Hank, Peggy and Bobby, they're all going to come back. So I'm going to be it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, I know I'm going to definitely look at it. Smokey Robinson is releasing his first new solo album in over a decade. My parents love him. Uh, Conor McGregor was hit by a car while out cycling. He says he could have been killed. I mean, he absolutely could have. Former UFC champ Conor McGregor said last Friday that he was out cycling and he was struck by a car. He said, got, quote, a bang of a car just now from behind. Uh, he said it was a sun trap and the driver couldn't see me. He said, uh, he's, I mean, he seems to be okay, but good heavens, uh, it could have killed him. He seems, he seems all right. He's not, you know, injured or anything. Japan intercepts armed Chinese flotilla near disputed islands. The Japanese government is criticizing Beijing, condemning an incident where a flotilla of Chinese government vessels breached Japanese waters around the disputed Senekaku Islands in the East China Sea. They've lodged a formal diplomatic complaint 
uh, as a result of this. They said also four Chinese Coast Guard ships. That's uh, they were they were in the, those controlled waters. So it's not the first time this has happened, but they're the FAFO. I'm telling you, they need to just everybody needs to chill. Uh, why more physicists apparently are now thinking that space and time are illusions. The physics for Nobel Prize this last December was given to experimental confirmation of quantum phenomenon known as entanglement. That's what it's all about. I'll put this in your email newsletter link as well. Stay with us. Back after this. Want a behind-the-scenes look at The Dana Show? Subscribe to Dana's Chapter and Verse newsletter for a deeper dive in all things Dana at DanaLash.com. But, you know, when will the brutality finally lead to some police reform from the ground up because clearly it doesn't matter if it's a white policeman or a black policeman it is a problem in the police and the policing itself you know seems things don't seem to make sense to people unless it's somebody they can feel or they can recognize Mm -hmm. but how many times do we have to do we need to see white people also get beaten before anybody will do anything oh my gosh you guys know who that is. It's Whoopi Goldberg who was talking about the whole situation with Tyree Nichols, uh, that which was caught on camera. Good heavens. She said this yesterday. Welcome back to the program. Dana Lash here with you. Always good to be with you. We're here at the bottom of the second hour. This Tuesday afternoon, very icy. We hit thundersleet. I'll talk about that a little bit later. What does that mean? What does she sitting here? What does she mean? Like, what do we need to see white people also get beat before anyone will do anything? Can we just stop for a moment? I want to know why all of a sudden white people come into this. Where did that come from? I want to go back. I was going to talk about this later on in the program, but I'm like, eh, I'm going to bring it up now. This issue with who did what. Did you see the story that came out this morning? Because what came out this morning was how the standards for uh, admission and to be included in Memphis police, how they actually had lowered their standards. And this is something that it was a piece over at the New York Post on this this morning. Let me pull this up for you. The piece ran, actually, yesterday evening. And this comes after it came out. I'm pulling, bear with me here. Ice again. It came out that the requirements for serving on the police force, because you know how police departments have been struggling to make sure that they fill recruitment, right? I mean, you have fewer and fewer officers and it's it's difficult. It's difficult for, for departments to be able to keep officers. It's difficult because, I mean, police officers, they see what's going on. They see what's been happening. So apparently the story, they had lowered their standards for policing for entrance. And that's one of the questions that's being asked. Okay, did this have to do like how would this how did this all fit in together washington standard uh, a number of things number areas writing about this they had hired two of the five officers that were fired and charged in nichols's death in 2020 and this was after the reduction in training and education standards 
Now, apparently one of the two officers would have cleared the previous requirements. However, the other one had been sued for beating an inmate while he was working as a prison guard. Now, according to the Law Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund, they said that if this were if these times were normal and police departments weren't dealing with so few recruits, this guy probably wouldn't have been hired. That's a interesting point. They said apparently that recruitment was going so poorly that there were signing bonuses that were being offered in addition to lowering educational and fitness requirements. And there was an Action 5 News, they're local, they said that one of the reductions in requirements was that Memphis Police Department recruits, they no longer demanded that they meet the educational requirement of having an associate's degree or 54 college credit hours. They could just get, if they had a few years' work experience, that's enough. 15000 signing bonuses. The, they, used to, they used to perform uh, timed physical ability tests to, see, to determine level of fitness. They did away with that. New York Post wrote that the department even was, was waiving, pull this up, that they were even waiving their opposition to, for felons to join the force, apparently. So you have an issue here where you have police officers, you have too few of them, you've had this whole defund the, defund the police movement and everything else, and now you have... As a result, so few officers to serve that you have to reduce your, your hiring requirements. You cannot tell me that this has not led to this. There's no way I would believe you. You cannot tell me that this did not. I mean, it honestly, it sounds like this whole push of uh, attacking the police, which resulted in fewer people wanting to serve. And standards having to be lowered so that other people who normally probably wouldn't get hired were hired. All of that's culpable in Tyree Nichols in his death. There's no way around it. I mean, when I I warn people in the beginning, the defund the police movement, the first thing that's going to get defunded is going to be training. Training will be the first thing that gets defunded. You you don't have anybody that wants to serve as an officer anymore because if you're a police officer. You're protecting and serving, but you also don't know who's going to protect you if you are involved. I mean, you basically have to get shot and killed before the public determines that it is acceptable for you to draw down on someone. There is a difference between obviously good policing and bad policing. I mean, nobody I and I've heard it before and it's always from good cops. They loathe bad cops. But it doesn't help when good cops are thrown in the same barrel with bad cops. And, and it's looked at as the rule rather than the exception. Now, nobody wants to... I mean, look, I, I've said this before. I know bad cops. Oh, I know bad cops. I sat on stage with a bad cop who tried to blame me for his lazy, fat ass's inability and refusal to do his job and protect people in his community, which resulted... In the deaths of, of quite a few. 
I know bad cops. Like I said, I sat on stage with one. I know bad cops. Art Acevedo, who used to run stuff down in Austin because I, I criticized his opposition towards the Second Amendment, threatened to use his department's resources to watch me on Twitter. It's still there. It's all public. It's all been saved. So I know bad cops. I've seen them. I've talked to them. I have experience with them. You know who coddles bad cops? Particularly in big cities? Democrat mayors. Guys, I'm talking about are chiefs. And although I think uh, the one down in uh, Florida, the bad cop down in Florida ended up finally got a cushy job somewhere else. But you have and no, it's not different with Memphis. Who you got as a mayor of Memphis? Democrat. Who's a police chief and a police chief appointed by a Democrat? City councils, Democrat. I mean, generationally Democrat. Those are the people that set the standards, that determine the budget, that, that set the requirements for training. So coming back to my original question, how in the hell is Whoopi Goldberg making this about white people? How is she making it about anybody else? How is it even a race issue? It is an ideology issue. It is the party that supports restorative justice. It's the party that believes in defunding the cops. Oh, except when we need you. Oh, my gosh. We're so shocked that defunding the police and spending five years attacking them and smearing them and impugning the character of everyone, not just the few bad cops, but all of the other good cops. We didn't realize that that was going to result in having to hire bad, untrained people that may or may not beat a man to death on the sidewalk are bad. What they think this is going to lead to. And she has the audacity to sit up there. I've been, I've co-hosted The View. I know how protected they are. You can't get in the front door without armed security. They got police everywhere. They got their security everywhere. You can't get in the elevator. You can't get up to the floor where the dressing rooms are. And then you can't get to the floor where the studio is without going through multiple layers of armed security and officers. Must be nice to sit up in what is almost literally not necessarily an ivory, but concrete tower and cast dispersions on everything else. Well, white people. It has nothing to do with white or black people. It has to do with bad ideology. She sounds like a racist. And when you sound like one, maybe it's because you are. Bad ideology did this. You can go back. Same thing, my hometown of St. Louis. Generationally Democrat run. Now, who are the people that appoint the chiefs? It's the mayor. The mayor appoints the chief. City council, the mayor, they work together to determine budgets, to determine uh, and work with the chief and sheriffs about standard operating procedures. You see all these stories now coming out. Oh, well, Memphis had to cut this. They had to, they had to reduce standards. They had to offer hiring bonuses. They didn't even have enough people. I mean, this is everywhere. That is what led to this. And now, so maybe, instead of, and the other thing is making this all about race, instead of actually looking at the ideology that led to Lowering standards led to no training and bad policing. I mean, because it, it didn't sound like, it didn't look like policing. It looked like UFC out there on the sidewalk. Bad UFC even. Not even artful martial arts fighting, just like a brawl. 
That was a bar fight that happened out there. That wasn't them being police officers. And that's not in any way how police are trained to act. But when you lower your standards, because you've had one ideology, the same ideology that appoints your chief, the same ideology that determines how your police department's going to run, the same ideology that determines your budget, the same ideology that is responsible, culpable, and the crime spike in Memphis, it's that ideology that is responsible. Whoopi Goldberg makes it about race. And by making it about race, you know what you do? You excuse the bad policing. If you want more bad policing, excuse the bad policing by making this falsely and stupidly about race. That's how you get more bad policing. Honestly, the stupidest commentary happens on that program. It just, you know, boggles the mind. We have more on the way. We got Florida Man coming up, too. You don't want to miss. It's his life mission to make bad decisions. It's time for Florida Man. Well, here's the question to start your new month. Who steals a baby Jesus? That's the question people are asking. Channel 12 News in Marathon, Florida has the story. Baby Jesus stolen from a Florida church. Monroe County Sheriff's Office says someone stole the baby Jesus from the nativity scene at San Pablo Catholic Church in Marathon. The thief or thieves also vandalized two statues. One had its head removed. The other, its feet removed. Investigators believe that the vandalism happened sometime between 3.30 p.m. Uh, or on January 20th. And they're asking people to call the police in Marathon, Florida, if they have any information on it. Their nativity was still up? That was my question. I mean, if it was on, if it, they think it happened January 20th, that's a long time to keep stuff up, right? I mean, I would imagine having Jesus in the nativity. I mean, yeah, he's still going to be in the manger and all, but, you know, historically, I'm just, just asking because, you know, I took all my stuff down like literally the day after Christmas. I have to. Makes me sad when Christmas is over. Two Florida women got into a fight and they, when one was arrested after busting out the victim's window with a wheelbarrow planter. Jeez. So two Florida women were arrested and they're facing felony charges. They had a fight over a man, all over a man, and it began on social media. The two women worked as caretakers at a local assisted living facility. Kaylee Moya, 23 of Sarasota, was arguing with the victim on Instagram messages about their shared boyfriend and the victim, 28-year-old woman, whose name is being withheld uh, due to the uh, law, state statute, shared with the Sarasota police that she and Moya had been in an off-again, on-again, off-again relationship with their boyfriend for months. Then the victim says that they messaged with the intention of coming to an agreement and put the fighting Uh, over the guy behind them. Moya said she was upset. She was being accused of being a boyfriend stealer. And that's when it all went sideways. So that's when uh, Moya and her friend Shakira Mitchell, they arrived at the victim's home at 11 p.m. And they told her to come outside and street fight. And when the victim refused, Moya picked up a wheelbarrow planter and threw it at a window, breaking it. And then she kicked in the front door. The women entered the home. The victim fled to the bedroom. Moya and Mitchell followed the bedroom. And that's when Moya started hitting the woman and pulling her hair. And then Moya, oh man, it was just all crazy. The Shakira Mitchell had enough, tried to intervene, tried to get Moya from stopping it, beating the victim half to death. But Moya pinned the victim to the ground and then choked her. 
And then as the victim feared for the, her life, she took her 380 and fired a single shot at the ceiling. Then they tried to wrestle the gun out of her hands. Mitchell got a hold of the firearm and then pistol whipped the same victim that she was trying to stop Moya from beating up. A roommate finally called 911. And the suspects left the scene, stealing the firearm and the victim's cell phone. So Moya and Mitchell now face robbery, theft of a firearm, armed burglary, felony charges, battery, misdemeanor. I don't have, I'm out of fingers on my hands. Uh, Shakira's out on bond. No one went, wanted to bond Moya out. So there she could. Well, she's held without bond. So that's crazy. <sighs> All right. So a uh, soccer player was arrested. He got a red card. Nelson Roland. 33, he got a red card and he got mad, so he punched a referee in the head. That's why you got the red card, man. Like, why? He said he had a red card violation. He explained to him that the violation ejected him from the field. He'd be suspended for the next match. And then so Roland punched the victim in the head, causing him to fall to the ground. And, oh, and then he kicked him for added measure. Yeah, that's why you got the red card, dude. That's why. Uh, we Tomorrow I'll tell you about the guy who found the human-sized nutcracker uh, after the hurricane. He's been missing it. Stick with us. Third hour on the way. And then probably the most important, uh, we brought a- accountability for tenured faculty. Now all tenured faculty at our state universities must undergo review every five years and can be let go if they are not performing to expectations. Um, I like that. Who doesn't? Welcome back to a freezing third hour of the radio program. I am your actual frigid curmudgeon. It is, what's the, what's the temperature? 26. It went down a degree since I told you last time that it was 27 in Texas. Yes, I, I'm, I can feel the people who live in Missouri and north of that typing emails where they're laughing at me. I hear your keys. I hear them from here. I get it. I'm just it. When I see ice, I can't deal. I'm just no, I'm not meant to be freezing. All right. So anyway, welcome to our third hour. Dana Lash here with you. I'm keeping myself warm by talking smack about all the people who deserve it. So and it's apparently going to get colder. (laughs) It's going to get colder. All right. So that was Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, who is talking about these new educational initiatives that they're pushing forward. And everyone is freaking out. All they're doing in Florida is saying, and I know this is going to shock people, you have to teach like, you know, actual academics. You got you to teach that kind of stuff. Sorry, we're, we're not going to play around with uh, your masked propaganda cosplaying as actual academic study. We're not doing that. So he's saying, look, That, and if you're faculty at our state universities, you have to undergo a review every five years. If you're not performing, then you got to go. Ooh, that means they have to be held accountable. Noted too, friends, that he said state universities. State universities. So not, you know, he's not talking about different private, and he's talking about state universities. If you're paid by the state, if you're at a state facility, you have to perform. Okay, yeah, you have to perform at your job. Why are people freaking out about that? You have to perform at your job, right? Do you get a pass? I don't, I don't get a pass. Can you imagine me just kind of like showing up like, oh, we're just going to kind of do radio today, guys. I just don't know if I feel like doing any kind of serious program. You guys, I wouldn't last. But why should these people who won't perform, why should they get a pass on it? 
That's all he's saying. Do your damn job. Is that hurt somebody's feels? You got to do your job. Oh, my goodness. He said this also. Audio soundbite 17. Play this. This is a good soundbite. We want to make sure that everybody that goes through a Florida university uh, has to take certain core course uh, requirements that's really focused on giving them the foundation so that they can think for themselves. And the core curriculum must be grounded in actual history, the actual philosophy that has shaped Western civilization. Um, Our institutions will be graduating students, I think, with degrees that are going to be meaningful. We don't want students to go through at taxpayer expense and graduate with a degree in zombie studies. And so this is going to make a difference. Zombie studies. Yeah, I love that. How is that bad? You're, you're, he's saying that you should, they should actually provide an education. People who are mad about this are literally advocating for stupid students. No, we want our students to not learn things. We want them to stay dumb. Yay. That's what you're doing. You're advocating for that. There's no other way around it. Just own it. So now, in it, so this comes after the whole, can you not talk about who you bang in class is like i don't know why teachers feel like they have to share things sidebar real quick why is that what is up with our society where people feel like they have to share every aspect of their lives it is so annoying you know there for a time when i when i was a lot younger and i was on social media i would share things now i cannot bear to do it because i almost murder myself from cringe i can't i just can't sit here and do like how like how you see uh Elizabeth Warren, how she's like, oh, I'm going to have a beer with my sweetie. Girl, no one believes that you drink beer and your sweetie didn't seem like he wanted to be your sweetie. I'm just saying. like, It's just weird. Or how you have grown women who are who just like constantly all day like AOC or anybody else. who I cannot do it. I can't. I just feel like I you don't want to see basic boring stuff that I do. Oh, here I am. I'm making some pastry dough. Woo. I don't get it. But you have all these teachers in all these classrooms who are like, I just don't feel seen unless I'm talking to your first grader about how I have sex. They, these are things that they, they feel like they have to share. The classroom is not your Instagram. It is not your Insta story. It is not your TikTok. It's not any of these things. It is a classroom. When I was younger, I didn't know a damn thing about my teachers. I saw one of my teachers in the store once with a man. <gasps> and it was her husband. We didn't even know she was married. We didn't even know that she was like that kind of a human. We thought she was a robot. We had no idea that they actually had lives. It's like we just sort of assumed that when we as kids left the classroom, the teachers would sort of just power down, stay there. And then they'd power back up when we came in the next day. This is the craziest thing. It was, but I remember seeing my teacher and I didn't know what to say to her. And my mom's like, don't be rude. I don't know what to say to you. I'm, I'm in the aisle of a store without a hall pass. What do I do? I, it was just, I didn't know anything about my teacher's lives. Nowadays, you like get to know, well, I told my students what position I like and all. I mean, they like talk about everything with these kids, with these classrooms. It is weird. You do not need to share your life like that. That is what your friends are for. 
I mean, and not and if and if I were, well, not my friends because I would leave the table if one of my friends ever shared with me. I don't care. It's just there's certain things I don't need to know all the time. But every they treat the classroom like it's their buddy and their Instagram and their TikTok all at the same time. And it creates these like weird situations. And then if you tell them, you know what, it might be just a, just a bit unprofessional to sit here and talk about how you hacked off your Frank because you wanted to invert it like some like human origami and become and cosplay as a woman. That might be a little inappropriate to tell, you know, the five-year-old who doesn't even barely know how to tie their shoes. Maybe don't. Just a thought. Just keep it classroom. Keep it classroom profesh, okay? Doesn't need to go that level. (sighs) That they share everything. So on that, this is what Christiane Amanpour had to say. This is audio sound by 15. The United States of America, so-called global superpower based on human rights and universal rights, freedom of expression, freedom to be the individual. Mm -hmm. We're seeing right now today the very laws and norms and and social acceptances that have that have that have come towards LGBTQ being challenged, whether it's at the court level or, let's just say, the governor of, of Florida or somebody who clearly wants to be the next president has implemented a whole raft of strange, strange requests, bills, laws. Well, how is any of that strange? So apparently alphabet rights are under fire because you can't talk about the position that you prefer when it's you're having nighttime times in the classroom. Really? Or are your rights under attack because you can't cosplay as a woman and wear a thong and twerk at a pastry place for an all-ages drag show? I mean, because you're you're doing basic B drag? I, I, I'm just stunned. That's what you think that... I don't think you understand what rights are. Okay, when you're in a public setting that is financed by the taxpayer and your salary comes from the taxpayer... You are agreeing to take that job, and with it, there are certain requirements, and among those are requirements for behavior. And talking about things that are outside of the academic purview, and don't try to conflate and act like you're cosplaying as this or that, or talking about your sex life with kids is amongst those academic issues. Acting as though because you can't talk about any of those things is somehow a denial of rights is so stupid. What about the rights of the children and the parents to not be totally freaked out because you're oversharing? What about our rights? I, what about your right to be co- totally unbothered by someone else's baggage? Where's that right? I want that right. Where's it? I don't want to be bothered by your baggage. Do what you're going to do, but don't, don't annoy the hell out of every parent in America by treating the classroom like your little personal TikTok. Stop. It's taxpayer funded. Your rights are not being denied because you can't sit here and talk about your sex life. Stop it. You freak. He said, she said, freak, my feels are hurt. I don't care. I don't care. I think people need to have their feelings hurt. Get over your damn selves. Golly. I feel like I got that out of my system. Almost. But it is still. One last soundbite. Audio soundbite 19. He's talking about counseling and then this gem of a soundbite. Go ahead. These are young, very young people. um, And they have all kinds of things that go on, you know, when you're in those years the way to deal with that, and most of it resolves itself by the time they become adults, but the way to deal with that uh, is to provide whatever counseling is needed, not to hack off their body parts. That is not a solution to the problem. That is mutilation, and it is wrong. 
And they and and it involves like minors. It's not informed consent. Whatever happened to informed consent? I mean, remember, didn't Democrats do the whole like yes means yes and no means no? Now apparently it doesn't matter, right? Uninformed consent's the best. You have you have willing victims. That's not informed consent. You have eight year olds that you're 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 they they can't make the decision as to whether or not they want puberty blockers. That's not informed consent. That's parents who are living out activist lives through their children. In engaging in mutilation, even before in puberty, we're going to have so many issues when kids get older, especially with the hormonal issue, because that can be like cause so many things. And it's going to be scary to think about. And even then, no one's going to look back and be like, oh, well, it's because this happened. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. Okay, so here's a headline I didn't expect to see today. California cops shoot uh, and kill a double amputee, 36-year-old, as he, he tried to run away. Double amputee, tried to run away. Police department said that the officers feared that he was going to throw his knife at them. And it's all caught on video, too. Uh, the graphic video, it's not. He had already stabbed somebody and was trying to flee. And he slid out of his wheelchair and tried to puff it down the sidewalk. And it was not happening. Uh, and he was throwing stuff at them, too. So they said he had a he had a knife. At the, and it was they think he threw it was the knife that he used to stab the victim. Uh, so they ended up having to uh, open fire. That was just crazy. That's a crazy video. Not one I thought I'd see. Or this. Coyotes are apparently chasing skiers at an Idaho resort. Experts are not sure why. It's in Sandpoint, Idaho. They've been exhibiting highly unusual behavior, including chasing skiers at the Schweitzer Mountain Ski Resort. And most of them, most of the encounters occur usually in early January. But now there was a skier that was bitten. Uh, they said patrons should be on guard, contact the agency if they spot coyotes on the slopes. But there was a female skier. Her injuries were minor, but they said that they take it seriously. They're trying to trap and then dispatch elsewhere the coyotes, that they, the offending coyotes, they said. Uh, but they, it, it's pretty... They said it's rare and coyotes are typically nocturnal and wary of humans. So they're trying to figure out why this season is different. But there was one skier who had to push away the coyote with one coyote with her ski poles. And she had to get rabies. The one who got bitten had to get rabies shot. So, oh my gosh, that's not Utah moved to block uh, puberty blockers and gender transition surgeries, i.e. mutilations. In minors, because it's not informed consent. First state to sign this bill into law this year. Ten other legislatures are prioritizing similar bills. Stay with us. More in store right after this. Your one-stop shop for the information you need to fight back. If you're going to have to learn stuff, you might as well enjoy it. The Dana Show. I don't have any Show me your budget, I'll show you mine. Yeah, that's not really how that works. It's not a competition there like that. It's just supposed to, you're supposed to just be forthright with taxpayers. Very simple. Welcome back to the program. Dana Lash here with you. Bottom of our third hour. And <clears throat> this um, budget battle, not coming at the best time. We don't want to hit the debt ceiling. and We don't want to increase the debt ceiling. And this is happening... 
as Americans are fighting inflation. I mentioned this earlier. I wanted to come back to this. Breadline USA, 8 million Americans earning more than $100,000 a year are living paycheck to paycheck because of inflation. Now, more and more higher earners are also struggling. Consumer price index shows that all items across the board have increased. The jokes about egg costs continue. It was a survey of 4,000 people from Lending Club. 64% of those surveyed between December 8th and 23rd said they were living paycheck to paycheck. So that's that's 100, it means really ultimately 166 million Americans are unable to save any money at all at the end of the month. And of those, 5%, about 8 million, were earning more than 100,000 a year. Now the average salary a year is $58,260 according to Bureau of Labor Statistics. But this is, this is, it's bad all around. And consumers are starting to freak out. As they should. And it's, a, I mean, and we're again, we're, we, they keep saying we're on the cusp of a, of some kind of, of a recession. Consumer spending is starting to sputter. If you get the email newsletter at Substack, chapter and verse, you got some of these headlines. So the, Retail purchases have fallen in three of the past four months. Spending on services, including rent and hair, rent, haircuts, and the bulk of bills flat in December after adjusting for inflation. The worst monthly reading in nearly a year. Sales of existing homes in the United States fell last year to their lowest level. Since 2014, as mortgage rates rose, the auto industry posted its worst sales year in more than a decade. Now, that's a very different, different look, considering the end of 2020, when the economy was powering out of a pandemic. And a lot of economists said on this path, we would get out of a prolonged Slump, and then we had the spending bills. We had all this stuff. And a lot of it was helped by government stimulus. Consumers were buying exercise bikes and televisions and laptop computers, says MSN, all during lockdowns. And when restrictions were lifted, people went back to their favorite restaurants. Government stimulus helped savings accounts, cheap credit, Inflation picked up. Out, Americans outspent it. Spending growth exceeded price increases by two percentage points throughout most of 2022. That's pretty stunning. And now, inflation's elevated. And everything that kept spending high is unwinding. You're going to have Democrats use this as a way to argue for, like, what is it, uh, universal incomes or uh, more, more entitlement spending. Annual inflation as measured by the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, remained above 5% for the 19th straight month, longest streak since the 80s. Dang. And then there's layoff worry trends, labor market weakness, temporary workers, people are shutting. I think that's all. I think some of that is post-holiday season. Some of it, not all of it. It's not good. 
It is the freak out of the U.S. consumer. Wall Street Journal says that, yeah, the consumer is going to freak out. Now, on top of this, listen to this headline. This is stunning. You know how we came in with a soundbite on the budget. Democrats are proposing giving federal workers an 8.7% pay increase for enduring Trump. For going through the Trump administration. Not kidding. Two, a pay increase for 2 million federal workers would take effect in 2024. After they received the 4.6% raise this year already from President Biden. Paying off federal workers. You're just buying votes at this point. They've, uh, you, you had Jerry Connolly, a Democrat from Virginia. He says, for years, federal employees, people, bureaucrats, have risked their health and safety working on the front lines of this pandemic. Shut up. Like, uh, they act like what they did is greater than what nurses did and doctors during the pandemic. These precious federal employees. I'm not kidding. That's how, they, that's how they're talking about them. I didn't even read you the full quote because you're gonna your head will explode. They said, this is an actual quote. Okay, I'm going to do it because this is his statement. Oh, my gosh, this is crazy. So they're reintroducing what they call the fair adjustment of income rates. And they, they said federal employees have risked so much. And he says in his statement, like this is Jerry Connolly, Democrat out of Virginia in the House. He said in his press release that he put up on Connolly.house.gov, quote, they were subjected to the Trump administration's cruel personal attacks, pay freezes, government shutdowns, mindless across the board hiring freezes, and our federal workforce serves with dedication and distinction every day. They're our government's single greatest asset. They deserve better. No, you know what our government's greatest asset is, Jerry Connolly? The taxpayer. That's what our government's greatest asset is. I am just, if you know what you're getting with a government job, if you don't want to those things, then don't work for it. There are too many damn government jobs anyway. Now, so this is, they've introduced this legislation previously. This is the first time that they've added, oh, they've had to put up with Trump in, in, their, in their statement. But this is, this is what they, his 23 co-sponsors. This is not going to go anywhere in the House. There is no way anybody, I doubt any even moderate Democrat is going to be like, yeah, I'm going to co-sign for a raise. You guys got your raise when you doubled the size of the IRS. I don't have a single damn dime for another excessive federal post. Not one. Now, a couple of other things to get into. The Biden administration says they're going to end the coronavirus public health emergency in May. I think it's been over for a long time. It's, it's been a while. It, it, it's time for it to. We have that. And then... I'm waiting for this. Let's put, let's do some, because there's going to be woke schools that are mad about this. Have you guys heard? uh, Well, I don't, I don't dislike theme parks. I dislike having to experience them. The, I, does that make sense? I don't know. I like roller coasters and I like fast rides and things like that. I just hate the whole ordeal of going to a theme park because I like to be left alone and I don't, 
want to touch things that everybody else has touched. I mean, yes, the the pandemic, because the government told you to be a germaphobe, made me not want to be a germaphobe, and I wanted to go lick doorknobs and stuff. But at the same time, there's certain things that I just uh, can't get around. So they have this new Mario Kart attraction at Universal Studios, right? But some people are getting their feels hurt because they warned visitors uh, that you, you know how you have the signs that you have to be this tall to ride? <laughs> okay, well, you can't be a chunk either, okay? You, you, you can't, you have to be of a certain weight and a certain uh, height because they don't want no little kids like flying out and stuff, I would imagine. I think it's actually kind of funny. But people were one like that's that's fat phobic. They I think they also probably don't want to have any liability that comes from, you know, a lunchbox who can barely fit into this damn seat dealing with you know, they don't want to deal with any liability that might come with any injury incurred because you're too big for the ride. You know what I'm saying? How it's really not that different from being told that you're too big to ride on the kitty rides as an adult right if it comes down to size i feel like that argument could be made but yeah the new mario kart attraction at universal studios hollywood warns visitors with large waistlines they may not be allowed to ride and it it looks like a tight fit i gotta be honest with you and they're like those little mario kart like bump it, it bumper car things but it it yeah it looks like it would be a tight fit but people are upset they're like oh this is it's fat shaming. It's, uh, you know, all it, it's so mean. No, it's not. It's just, golly, just it's not. It's safety. It is legit a safety issue. <sighs> Someone said that it's dumb to have a Mario Kart ride that Bowser and DK couldn't even get on. That's true, though. That is kind of funny. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, too, is, and I'm, I'm looking at a photo of a guy who looks like heavy set, and he's on the ride. I, I I think there's, you know, obviously a limit. You cannot be morbidly obese, I think. But they said that if your waistline is over 40 inches, you might you might have some problems. The bar may not come down. You know, the bar that like goes down and you hold, it's like the waist bar and it locks into place. I mean, I've seen that. I mean, you've seen, how many, we all know this, right? Just have the, why is this a thing? It's a safety issue. It is a safety issue. For the love, and people are going to get offended over that because they're going to get offended over everything. All right, last quick thing. Um, this, so Steph Curry is, uh, he's pretty lefty, right? So Steph Curry is upset because he's got this big, swanky $30 million mansion. And he does not like the idea of affordable housing being constructed near it. Big time Biden supporter Steph Curry is a, is a, opposing the proposed construction. This is free beacon of a low income multifamily unit next to his thirty million dollar mansion. He's worried about his safety and his privacy. Mm. He joined a nonprofit back in twenty one, focused on quote bridging the racial wealth gap. But apparently, he meant like not near my mansion. He didn't want it. I don't want the pores near me, okay? I mean, I'm all for the pores. Just not buy my $30 million mansion. <laughs> he had said his quote at the time, bridging the racial wealth gap is one of the biggest challenges of our generation. He wrote this. 
Uncovering solutions and creating opportunities is something I am profoundly committed to, except in my backyard, <laughs> not near my mansion. I always, that's like, um, what is it? The Kennedy's getting mad. Was it Teddy Kennedy, the guy, uh, uh, the pond driving in a woman guy? Uh, Teddy Kennedy got mad. He's like a big wind farm dude. And he's dead now, but he got real mad when they were going to build wind, like these turbines uh, near the co- on the coast near his home. And they said that they didn't want to look out their window and see turbines. It's never, they never want to have to live in the world they create. It's just par for the course. It's how they work. Listen to the Dana Show live on the Odyssey app. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern time. You can sign up for the newsletter over on Substack, chapter and verse, all kinds of good stuff that goes out quite regularly. So make sure you check that out. And uh, as well as YouTube and Facebook, just like and subscribe. Okay, so a couple of other things I want to make sure that we hit because it's been a number of things to touch on this, this icy day. Yeah, we had thunder sleet this morning. It is the official temperature right now. No, it's 26 degrees. Ice covers everything. And if you are, I mean, you're, if you're, you know, you live in the you know northern part of the United States, that doesn't mean anything to you. But in Texas, they don't actually don't even have rock salt that you can get out and put out. So Texas closes and they're just like, ah, we're going to wait it out. That sun will come back. It'll melt everything, which is true. But it takes, uh, it takes a little bit. Let me share you this story. This is silly. We'll end the day this way. A woman named Carmen Caroga opened a new breakfast restaurant. She was very excited about it. And you know, it's breakfast. What do you do when you wake up in the morning? Well, you wake up first, right? So she called it woke because it was about people breakfast, right? It's literally a breakfast and coffee shop. She called it woke and the O is an egg on the sign. Well, people assumed that she made a political statement. And she was accused of such. Uh, oh, and she's she's like, oh my gosh! If nobody supports the business, I'm going to lose everything. And she said, I mean, she grew up in Mexico City. She's like, I I just wanted to reopen a breakfast place. I thought that was a great name, and I could make the O and egg. Well, woke has all different kinds of connotations. Not everything means woke, though. So I hope their their Republican Town Committee came out in support of woke last week. So they've been promoting the restaurant on Facebook. And they're like, it's not a political statement. Stop. I would look at it and not even think that it was a political statement. I'm sorry, but you have to be a moron to think that that's a political statement. It's literally the name woke and the O is an egg. And it says breakfast and coffee underneath. I don't ruin this woman's business because you're a dumbass. <laughs> that's just so ridiculous. It's called woke because the, the people wake up. It's breakfast. All right. Steve, today in stupidity, what heinousness do we have? Oh, uh, it's Kamala Harris. She's out here. Uh, I don't know who was interviewing. It was some low-budget reporting out here, but they were asking, <laughs> asking about green energy and school buses, and I don't know how to take this. but These are going to remain yellow school buses because who doesn't love a yellow school bus? They will remain yellow, but their heart will be green. It's heartwarming. They're yellow, but their heart is green. I just think the more she talks, the more difficult it becomes for other Democrats to get behind her being on the SVP again. That's where the real division is, folks. Make sure you sign up for the newsletter, Chapter and Verse, over at Substack. Find us on YouTube and Facebook 
And make sure that you like and subscribe as well. Now, tomorrow may still just be me. It may just still be Ice Mageddon. Yeah, Ice Mageddon. Uh, so it might just, you know, we'll see how it goes. Stay warm. Stay frosty. <laughs> I'll be back with you guys tomorrow. Have a good night.